Okay, I am with my good friend Rob Bell in his house. Uh, you're like family. Yeah. Like Kristen and the kids, you're like family. You know, I, when I moved to LA, the one thing I missed is that I couldn't just call around to a friend's house that was two minutes around the corner. And now you're two minutes around the corner, so it's just <laughs> wonderful. But usually it's the other way around. Whenever we're doing something like this, you're interviewing me. Yes. And now I am interviewing you. And you're working the tech. I'm working the tech. Which I've never seen, I've never seen before. I know, it's, it's terrifying. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've known Rob now for, I remember you first came to Belfast, it must be 10 years ago now. Uh, July of 2008. Oh, wow. Yeah. We hung out for a few days. I came afterwards to the poets, prophets, and preachers. Mm -hmm. And um, then ever since, we've been working together, hanging out together, and now you're my neighbor. It's very it's the cool. Best. Very it's the cool. best. But you have recently finished your book on the Bible. It's When's the release date for it? May 16th. May 16th, which is literally two days away. Well, two days away from... No, May. This is March. Yes. Okay. Two months. I could have been doing like a pro move there and then I'm going to be releasing this on the 14th of May, but no, I just, I just screwed up. I just screwed up. This is embarrassing. Um, but yeah, so I've just started reading it and I wanted to uh, ask you a few questions, have a bit of a chat about the Bible if you're up for it. Yes, of And course. then we'll uh, go around to your favorite shop that's, you say is closing. My favorite Thai restaurant is closing in three days. This is terrible. So I determined to eat there every day this week. Oh, wow in honor and then Friday night it's the last one uh, are you going to eat there Friday night or are you going to be there for I the... am I'm going to eat there Friday for sure oh fantastic very good that's St. Patrick's <laughs> night are you celebrating yes I'm going to eat some, eat some Thai eat some, I'm yes, eat some Thai Irish I'm actually food. speaking at a synagogue Friday night oh, yeah. so I'm going to eat some Thai on St. Patrick's Day and then go to a synagogue wow it's <laughs> wow. a that? good day I'm going to be in a plane heading back to Ireland oh nice yeah. yeah well when I first started reading your book, one of the first things that kind of hit me, uh, it reminded me of a philosopher that I used to read when I was younger called Gabriel Marcel, who was writing in the mid-20th century, contemporary of Jean-Paul Sartre. And he made this distinction between treating something as a problem and treating it as a mystery. To treat something as a problem is to treat it objectively, to stand outside of it, to look at it in a kind of cold and dispassionate, even disinterested way, like, you know, the scientific method. And if you do that well enough, technically you can swap out anybody. Mm -hmm. you know, if one mathematician will get the same results as the other mathematician if they follow the same rules. But then Marcel talks about treating something as a mystery. And that is where you treat something from within, something that you're taken up within that it concerns you in some ultimate way. It's like the difference between some 20 year olds talking about the problem of evil over a pint in the bar and somebody uh, at the bedside of their dying child. Uh, one is treating suffering as an interesting puzzle mm -hmm. and the other one is caught up within the story. And uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about this as well when he says a music critic can be objective about the music they listen to, but a music lover engages with the, the texture and the depth and the density of the music, and they are the ones who know the truth. So when I read this book, I see you uh, treating the subject matter as a mystery rather than a problem. You seem to be caught up in the, the narrative and, and connected with it. Do you think that's an accurate way of describing? That is the best, longest, 
interview question. I learned more in your interview question than in some people's books. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have the art of asking a you know, short question. No. Uh, yes, 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 and yes. And I think what happened to me early on is I noticed how many people were standing at a distance mm-hmm. talking about it rather than from within it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember studying theology 25 years ago and thinking, I'm, af- I'm after something. These people are way smarter than me, and they're, some of them are older and more mature, and some of them are really amazing, but some of them, most of their energies are spent in talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that kind of distance. I'm caught up in something. Um, there's no lab coat yeah. where you where there's a glass wall and we're sort of analyzing. I'm. I remember just thinking I don't fit here because I'm caught up in something and I'm trying to give it words and images and point other people to the thing that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, this was the the very way and, you wrote this. I mean, like it was an explosion of passion. I mean, it started off yeah. with one what, one Tumblr post, which and then turned two, into two, and then three, and then four. I actually decided I, I thought it was almost like freeing up RAM space because I've been studying the Bible for so many years. But I thought, what if I just what do I what's in my head about the Bible? In some ways, it started out as just freeing up some RAM space up there. Yeah. Um, because I just realized how many people. Uh, Noah in the flood, Abraham offering his son Isaac, uh, Jonah being swallowed by a fish, didn't know what these stories were about, about the socio-political elements of them, the evolution in human consciousness that they're... I just realized how many people have no idea what's going on in the Bible. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, and that the Bible only works if you read these stories in such a way that you get at the full humanity because yeah. then you start to see your own. Yeah, good. well, because this is a, this is another thing about your book is it seems to be more about what it means to be human. Absolutely, which is why when people talk about religious things, I, I couldn't care less unless we're talking about what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that religion is one of the ways that people have more fully understood when in its proper place, that's great. Otherwise, not interesting to me. Yeah. What's interesting is what it means to be fully alive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you picked that up because a sacred text is something you get caught up in. Yes. And, and then questions of is it, well, people say like, is it right or wrong or is it true or not? Are, that's the last thing you're thinking of because yeah. you're, you're just in a completely different place. Yeah. I mean, something we talked about the other day, but I, I talked about an analyst when they look at a dream. And you say, well, I saw a red bus and I was running for the red bus and I couldn't catch it and, yes. and I was going through treacle. Um, the analyst doesn't say, well, did you see a was red bus? Really a red yes. bus? Was there really a red bus? Was it green? Day? Yeah, but neither do they say, oh, that's, you know, that's just a figment of your imagination. They, they take it absolutely seriously and they say, what does it mean? They decipher this. Right. They, they say that your, your dream is a reflection of something deep within your subjectivity, and our job is to decipher it. And that's what I felt when I was reading your book. You're saying, I'm taking this text absolutely seriously because it's a book that I feel that I'm within and is within me. Yeah. And, and the, the challenge is to decipher and unpack that and, and discover what vital 
energy it has. Absolutely. And I think for many people, I, I imagine your, your listeners, for many people in the modern age, they were told this is objectively, literally true, so you just need to, and it all happened exactly as it says it happened, which sucked the life right out of it. Another crowd was told it's all myth, it's all ancient, primitive, mythopoetic, so none of it happened. It's just to be understood as nice stories. And both of them miss the power. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them miss the depth and the electricity of when you ask a completely different set of questions. Yeah. I mean, funnily enough, the conservatives, I think, can grasp this very well because, you know, if someone rose from the dead, literally, um, that's just an interesting thing to watch on TV on a Tuesday night. I mean, somebody rose from the dead in, in Mexico. Wow, that's kind of crazy. But you wouldn't start a religion on it. I mean, you'd just kind of talk about it. It would pub. be a YouTube clip that would be passed around for seven months. Yeah. But unless it has... <laughs> that some, would be what it would be. Yeah. Unless it, it connects, it anchors with your subjectivity, then it's nothing. Do you know, actually, that uh, it, was, it was around 10 years before the Titanic sank, there was a book written about a, a ship the same size as the Titanic, in the same waters as the Titanic, hitting an iceberg just like the Titanic, and it had too few lifeboats just like the Titanic, and about the same amount of people died. This is 10 or 15 years before the it was Titanic a novel? sank. It was a novel, right? No way. So if you, if you saw the novel, you'd go, oh, this is based on the Titanic. But no, it was 15 years before the Titanic sank. And one of the ways to understand this, and because, of course, the question is, why is Titanic so interesting to people? It's just a ship sinking. Why does it endure? Why does it endure as a story? Exactly. But because it captures something about the political and cultural yes. and so right. there's something romantic. And the fact is the book was written beforehand because they didn't know about the literal sinking because it was 15 years before. But that narrative connected with the subjectivity of an era. So yes. when something happened in factuality, uh, the fact was not was not what made it interesting. It's that the fact connected with the deep subjectivity of the generation, and therefore it became enduring. Yes, yeah. because, like you think about that moment in history, you have this tremendous modern movement of humans can do anything, and, yep. and even God can't sink the ship. Yep. And that whole narrative yeah. had a, was a little wobbly. Yeah. Like, we're awesome. We're going to eradicate everything, even though more people are dying this century than have died in all previous centuries combined. And then the ship sinks, and it's like, oh, the whole thing really is as precarious as we know it is. Yeah, exactly. So whatever happened at the time, biblical times, all we know is it anchored with certain people's sure. subjectivity. It told a story of what it meant to be human. And yes. that's what I think you touch on. And you think about a, a guy rising from the dead. Yeah. So you begin with Julius Caesar, who believed he had divine origins, he had mm -hmm. divine birth. Yeah. So his son then was this, considered the son of God. Yeah. And the son of God who they believed was sent to earth to bring about a universal reign of peace and prosperity. Yeah. And then his son Octavius mints coins that say peace through victory. So you destroy, <laughs> it's peace because you killed everybody who disagreed with you. Yeah. And this massive military superpower is destroying everybody in its path. Yeah. There's evidence that at Magdala, they crucified 3,000 people at once. Mm -hmm. And this itinerant, mystic, social critic rabbi announces a different kingdom. Yeah. 
and is willing to go to his death rather than keep the violence in circulation. Yeah. I mean, it's it, like the Christmas it, is an insurrection. Na- yeah. Now we have a story. Yeah. Is there another way to be in the world? Because the Romans kill everybody and then talk about this wonderful peace. Is there some other way to think about this? Yeah. Oh, this movement around this Jesus insists there's another way to be human that involves sacrificial love, not military coercive violence. Yep. That's a story. Yeah. And these people had some sort of experience worth writing down and worth dying for that insisted that they had experienced him post-death in some way that vindicated a, a new way of being human. Yeah. Well, now we just have a different discussion. Yeah. Well, yeah, Caesar was born of a virgin. Jesus born of a virgin. Caesar right, they're was, good. was these are son of God. master storytellers. Jesus was yeah, son of right. God, yeah. Um, you know, uh, these are alternative political... Uh, yes. Worlds. I remember I was, always was uh, like, why at the end of the Gospel of Luke does Jesus ascend to the heavens? Because that's just crazy. Mm. But then I remember stumbling in some, I think it was an Ethelbert Stauffer first century book about how it was believed that the Caesars, when they died, ascended to the right hands of the gods. And was like, oh, Luke is telling a story using images that his crowd they knew what Luke, they weren't reading it literally. They're going, oh my word, Luke is undermining the empire mm-hmm. with this story. Yeah. And that's dangerous and powerful and poetic and could change everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And th- this book, it's so interesting to me how, how somewhere along the way, people in their insistence on defending the Bible chopped its balls off mm-hmm. and, and took all of the teeth out of it yeah instead of just telling these stories as they would have been told yes because then you think about trump and you think about the gap between rich and poor and you think about it's like i mean you think about all the things everybody is talking about now Mm -hmm. um are what these people were telling talking about yeah it's like it's like reducing a flag to cloth and color. Yeah. Like, oh, you know what is a flag? A flag is a certain type of cloth and certain type of wooden yes. pole and a certain color. You're like no, no, no. That's that's the basic material. Um, uh, base. It's like material yeah. essence, right? And that that's why you know for Paul Tillich, he says you never say something's just symbolic. No, you say something's just literal, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. what you say. Oh, yes. it's just literal, but the yes. symbolism is where it gets really interesting. Somebody was asking me if I take the Bible literally, and I was like, oh, I have a much higher view of it yeah absolutely i would never demean it (laughs) by saying yeah absolutely you know um so that's that's one of the things that i resonate with is Mm. that is that you you're 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 engaging in this in the symbolic uh meaning of the text what's going on within the text and you're and you're connecting with universal themes this is very key like a lot of people think that the the way to the universal is by abstraction. Ah, oh, uh, right, right, know, right. And, and also by, you know, Gabriel Marcel treating something as a problem. But for someone like Kierkegaard, you start with the singular. I walk past someone who's homeless and they shouted at me, do you not see me? Do you want to walk past me because you think I'm not human? That's the singular, that's an experience that happened to you. And then you connect it to the particular. Oh, that reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. That's particular because it's connected mm-hmm. to a particular religion. And then you connect to the universal. You go, and what does that say to all of us in whatever you know language game we're in, whatever religious tradition right. we're in? And that's the text seems to start. You you oscillate between the singular, the particular, and the universal very beautifully. Yes, yeah. I love it. I I would like you 
I like your commentary on the book. It's interesting. I do a chapter on Melchizedek. That there's a story about Abraham because oftentimes the critique is people will say, "Well, the Bible is so particular. What about all the other religions? What about all the other worldviews?" But what's interesting is right away you have Genesis 12 early in the Bible, the story of Abraham, and the, it gets really particular. One dude, mm-hmm. one Hebrew dude, who's going to be the father of a nation. That's time and space, one dude. But then two chapters later, Genesis 14, Abraham's coming back from battle and he runs into Melchizedek, who's the king of peace, the king of righteousness. Like, wait, wait, wait. Kings are kings of areas or regions or geography, but this guy's like the king of goodness. Mm -hmm. It's already kind of weird. You get no background in him other than Abraham tithes to him and he blesses Abraham. Yeah. So it's like the story is particularized in time and space with this one Jewish dude. And it's like over and over and over again, it's like, it's about this Jewish dude. It's just that right away, the storyteller is, has a guy show up out of nowhere who's described as priest of the most high God. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah. 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 There's, <laughs> there's stuff happening all over the place. Yes. That, and that's, it's already yeah. subverting its particularity with these universals. And that's, and that's the existential understanding of truth is that to get to the universal, you have to start with the singular and the particular. That's, yes. the, that's the way in. You know? Yes. And it's interesting now, it's, it's interesting now with the internet and with Instagram, you'll notice how many, I'm so struck with how many people are like, you can be free to be you. You can live your dreams. Mm-hmm. You can climb the highest mountain you can achieve everything um but that after a while feels like platitudes that someone's grandma could sew on a yeah. pillowcase when it's when you're like my friend cliff was robbed at gunpoint and he went to the jail and forgive you know forgave yeah. the person who just okay now now we have a story yes yes now you can do anything like my friend cliff yeah that without the flesh and blood particularization, oftentimes it just sounds like we need to change the world. We need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a story. So you know what's going to drive you nuts? You know what means you may not survive the next year, right? Whenever you're doing all these interviews and going around the world. (laughs) What is going to kill you is that every interviewer is going to try and make you into a music critic rather than a music lover. They're going to ask you questions that are going to say, well, why is the Bible this? What is it? They're going to try to get you to treat it as an object that you're distant from that you have to defend. So that's that's going to be frustrating. I'll be doing all my interviews with you. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I was hoping you'd say. Yeah, you know. My fees are quite high, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I have noticed that I don't actually, I, I actually find this happens often in interviews, is I find them exhausting. Mm-hmm. Not talking to you in my living room. Yeah. But I find a lot of interviews exhausting because... You're often being asked to stand back and put categories on things yeah. and analyze them, which I just have realized I'm not T- very good at. Tell me why your wife is important. Give me, give me, give me, I want, I want to hear right. five reasons why your wife is more special than everybody else is in the world. You know, you know like I've, you get, would get frustrated with that kind of question. You know, I've never thought about that. I've never thought about that way. I don't, I'm not very good at it and I find it exhausting probably because I set out to do something different. Mm-hmm. It's like I hear music and I'm inviting you to dance and you asking me what the time signature is. 
first off, I probably don't even know. <laughs> yeah. So if I do know, yeah, it gets in seven eights. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah. so can we start dancing? Yeah. But the moment you start treating yeah. something like something that is to be treated like a mystery, like your child, and go and then to and treat them as a problem, as soon as it's like, oh yeah, talk to yeah. me objectively about Violet. No, yeah. I don't. I don't want to hear the subjective stories. I don't want to hear that. Oh, you had this beautiful experience where you went to dance class with her and you just saw her do this new move. And, I just did this but, afternoon. Maybe. Yeah, but go yeah. on. <laughs> no, well, you know, no, don't tell me about that. I don't want to. I want to know ten reasons why you know Violet is uh, an exceptional you know, seven-year-old or something. Yeah, I'm and already I, bored. You're already bored, and also you're missing the truth. You're missing yeah. the, the the truth is not in the is this in the standing back disinterested stance. The truth can only be discovered in the entering yeah. in. Yeah, that's why. That's why uh, in the book I talk about beware of sermons about how special, important, and unique the Bible is, <laughs> because in some ways you've always lost. You already lost the plot. It's yeah. the guy on Instagram who keeps posting pictures of his wife, going, "Glad to be married to this hot babe." Yeah, I'm always like, "What's wrong?" I, you know, yeah. just. You can see a therapist. Yes, there's a problem there, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and obviously, celebrating love is a beautiful thing, but sometimes yeah. when it, there's too many of them, and you start to be like, are you convincing me or yeah. yourself? Yeah. Um, that, that at some point, the def- sometimes the defense sounds good, but it's be- you've already lost something key. Yeah. You've already lost something key. Sometimes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. So, so in terms of then, kind of the message of this text, like what what is it that enlivens you about the text? Why is it you had to write this in fifty Tumblr posts? Why did you? Why did this explode from your subjectivity? Um, I think part of it was for a while I was very disillusioned with the Bible and with the tradition that I came from. I sort of went on my search. Once I was the pastor of a church, uh, some a number of things weren't working, and so I sort of went looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember driving in on Easter Sunday, being like a guy rising from the dead. That is the dumbest. Like my job is to convince people. This are you serious? Yeah. This, this whole thing, like literally, what is this? What in the world? What am I a part of? Yeah. Um, and but then I came to understand. It took me a while to realize that everybody was was on some sort of path. That the person who's like, I'm free from all that, I just live with the facts. That is a perspective. Mm-hmm. That everybody is coming from from place. And that this biblical tradition, that I hadn't even scratched the surface of the depth and insight and brilliance. Um, so... That, and that was long and gradual. Like, oh, a lineage and a tradition is a powerful thing because it gives you like a particularization. So like, so like uh, Moses is going back and forth with God in Exodus and the God character is like the divine has no edges. Mm-hmm. And just that, the divine has no edges, that everything in your life has thingness, it has boundaries. There's this microphone, this table, there's the dog, there's the peat. Um, but the divine has no edges or shape or form. Yeah, yeah. And that if you are going to talk about matters of ultimate concern, you're going to talk about that which has no boundary, shape, or form. Yeah. So the, I just kept realizing that the thing that I was like, yeah, but what about... It was probably already in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Technology, forgiveness, 
uh, transcendence, mm-hmm. emptiness, despair, um, the God who comes up short. Yeah. Um, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The day that God becomes an atheist. Mm. Um, all of the most dangerous, and in your work, the most dangerous, interesting, provocative things that can help pave the way forward. I kept re- noticing how many of them <laughs> were already in this library. Yeah, yeah. I remember you and I were doing an event in England at Greenbelt. You did something in a tent. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And Kristen and I were in this tent listening to you, and you at one point quoted as an offhanded comment you were like by the way this is what Paul is referring to in 2nd Corinthians or whatever mm-hmm. and I remember just <clears throat> like oh my word uh, that's there yeah um, so I think part of it was just owning up to this tradition that I come from and how many people are know nothing about it yeah and all the people are like, well, I know all the Bible stories. No, you don't. Yeah. Because familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Yeah. And unfamiliarity breeds contempt. And I kept meeting, and the book is driven by meeting people with a conflicted relationship uh, about the Bible, mm-hmm. but who loved Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I was like, you understand that there's a direct line from Bernie Sanders to Amos. Yeah. That these impulses that you most love in life, <clears throat> uh, design, aesthetics, are all in this book that you have a conflicted relationship with. Yeah. And that your repulsion to violence is probably why they put those stories in, is they were probably putting some of those violent stories in to say, look how ridiculous violence is. Yeah. And that's all, that's just taking time. Yeah. When I was reading it, it reminded me of a time in the Largo. I saw you do a show in the Largo, and it was my favorite thing, it was so good. You showed about 60 photos oh, in yeah, 60 yeah, yeah. minutes. Yeah, 82 photos. 82 photos. <laughs> and like, is it 60 minutes? Uh, I didn't. Yeah, 70, 82 photos I'd taken on my iPhone. Yeah. And you went through. <laughs> and I literally was seeing the world through your eyes. And I mean literally as in you were taking oh, right, photos of right. things that you were seeing that were taking your interest. And I am a hard-hearted, cynical Irish guy. And you even moved me. It was funny. <laughs> It was thoughtful, uh, and my cool, dead heart even beat a couple of times. Ensconced in barbed wire. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something happened within the chest. And I remember sitting there watching it, and what was interesting was it was deeply personal. It was like so personal. You were talking about your life. I was seeing the world through your eyes. I was seeing L.A. and its best and its worst through your iPhone. Mm. <laughs> and. And yet it seemed to touch on the most universal uh, things. Mm-hmm. It touched on what it means to be human, which of course is a weird question. A dog doesn't, you know, a dog is a dog, a stone is a stone, but what is a human? A human becomes more human. We can be inhuman. You don't talk about some, an in-dogness. <laughs> dogs mm-hmm. are just dogs, but humans are inhuman. And, and the society that's dedicated to treating animals well is called the Humane Society. Oh, yeah. That's that our humanity is measured by how well we treat other things. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a very, against Sartrean notion, which is to be human is to, you know, to question what it means to be human. But on that night in the Largo, it was so personal, and yet it touched on the questions of what it means to be human. And mm-hmm. it, que- it touched on the universal issues. And in the same way, it feels like this book is both deeply personal. And oh, yet, interesting. And yet touches on some of the most universal themes you know the themes that that Hmm. that connect with all of us yeah interesting 
So I don't really tell much about my life in there, but you're saying, but I am. Yeah. It feels so personal. It feels so readable. It feels like it feels like I'm encountering you. It's like that's the difference between you know a mathematician. You don't know which mathematician is doing the formula, but if you read uh, a philosopher like Kierkegaard, you can't swap him out for someone else. If someone's if there's a poet like Neruda who's writing on love, you can't just take Neruda out and stick another poet in and get the mm. same result. You'll get something different. That's what I mean. It's like it's you. You're writing. You're getting something personal. You're Pete Holmes said he felt like this book was like me turning all the knobs, all the Rob knobs up. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's just, yes, it's not that it's a st- you're telling the story about this is what happened to me. It's that you can tell that this is your writing. Mm. You can tell, like, if, 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 it's like a blind Coca-Cola taste where, you know, I could tell that if you set that beside 10 other books that like that that's a book that you read just like you could tell a Kierkegaard book um, from a hundred other authors or a Neruda poem from a hundred other poets because in some respects what you're doing is you're talking from something deeply personal and it's infective oh thank you that's very interesting that is interesting that you would say that the book that I would say is the least about my life actually and it probably at some level, these, this ancient library has worked on me. Yeah. And I can't, I'm in. It's yeah. like done something in here that... It's like, well, it's like reading Fear and Trembling, you know, Kierkegaard's talking wow. about Abraham and Isaac, but he's not. He's talking about his yeah. Regina, who he, he, yeah, he yeah, loves, yeah. you know. It's like, um, it's like he's, he's talking about universal themes, but you can tell that it's coming from a, a life lived, a yeah. life reflected. Yeah, yeah. So... I recommend everybody on my Patreon to buy it. And if this, if this conversation gets any further than that, buy it. But, uh, you know, thanks very much for doing this. Oh, that's um, very kind of you. Yeah, you know, now pleasure. we're going to go off and uh, have some time. But anything you want to say or contribute? Any question you would like to ask? Well, you have the we have the Sinclair I don't feel here. smart enough. <laughs> I'm still bad. The questions you ask, the layers you guys go, is so fascinating. And it stopped me in my tracks because what's, it resonates. That's what's so fascinating. What's funny is we would, this conversation, like this is the first time Pete has ever brought a microphone over, but we probably would have had the same conversation. Yeah. If oh, we yeah. Were, oh, yeah. We would have just talked about these same things. With or without the microphone. This is just, we just turned on the microphone yeah, so other people weird. can share in this before well, we go and eat Thai food. But go if, if you look at this in the way, because I know Rob more than I know you, but it's just like the the... This view you guys have of the world, it seems to be rippling, not like the rock drop in the middle. It's like the ripplings are almost going in reverse because I'm starting to pick up little shreds of this and how people want to reconcile themselves with the Bible and with Christianity. It's an interesting sort of twist, and I think it's like coming concentrically, to use your big smart words, together. Because I think people want to make sense of it, but I like... And I've heard you speak on this before, Rob. I'm pointing to Rob. This mythal, this mythical sense that people use to make sense of the world. It's not a literal. Somebody took dictation as it all was going down, and that's how we have to. Appreciate Which is like a brand new idea in human history. Where my head went was when he was talking when Pete was talking about the Titanic story yeah. and why that disaster, in lieu of everything that's happened in humanity, so resonates. And you're right; it has it all in there. Yeah. Class. Money, when Rob was talking about man thinking that they were not going to, and then you go 2,000 years from now, is that another sort of Tower of Babel story? Like, you know, it gets Absolutely. twisted around and the edges get taken Absolutely. off and it's used to make a bigger point. And you think about 2,000 years from now, an argument about whether or not 
3,122 people or 2,122 people actually were killed would com- in the Titanic right. would completely miss the point of the power of the story. Yeah. 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 I mean, interestingly, C.S. Lewis, I'm not a huge fan of his theoretical work, but he does have a good argument, dialectic argument, where he says that, you know, mythology doesn't arise from reality. Uh, mythology exists and then eventually reality catches up. So, you know, eventually the mythology finds something that really happens. Yes. So, for example, you have a mythology of what it means to love, and then a concrete yes. person comes in, yeah. and, and all of those kind of like ethereal things solidify around some fragment of poverty, some poverty fragment of reality. Yes. And, um, you know, I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about some it. Some stories happened. Some stories are true. And they actually happened. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, and, I, and I don't know that, because again, I'm, I'm from the outside of the world. I just make TV shows. But I, I feel John like is a this sort TV of producer. like the interesting way of religion recovering from what science did to it. Because science, you know, that was like everyone believed these myths and then science came in and that kind of shook things up yes. a little bit. And yes. now I think people are going, okay, hold on. We've recovered from that. Yes. And now we're understanding the true value of these things because we're coming back around going, okay, if you, if you remove the literal, and I thought the way that, that Rob said, no, I don't take it. I take it more seriously than literal, whatever mm-hmm. you said. And I go, well, maybe that, that's where people need to settle back in. It's, your in. it's a gyroscope to get you, to GPS to get you through the world. And rely on it for that and look for what that can be versus trying to prove whether these, was it 40 years they roamed through the desert? Did the bush actually catch on fire? You know what I mean? Was it this? Was it that? And I think that that's what's so cool. If everybody could just stop for a beat and go, hold up. It, we're not throwing it out. We're not saying all these. Other, let's look for that guidance that's still in these stories. It's, it's fascinating. I can listen to you actually, keep going. I just oh, yeah. read the part of your book where you're talking about um, how people ask you how literal the Bible is and you sort of compare it to Mozart and like did Mozart's symphonies win? Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting because you have, it's not necessarily like music where uh, you, when a, when a scientist discovers something new, they don't write a song about it, they write a paper. So when you have written language, it can confuse people between mm. should how how heavily they should rely on it because everything from math to the most subjective art can be sort of whittled down to writing. So I think that having one medium that can express this sort of removed perspective like you talk about and also the perspective of the person experiencing um, can be difficult for a lot of people to realize that, that there's books don't have to be fact or fiction, but they can be like allegories or other things. Absolutely. Like Words can do lots of things. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Seriously, um, good times, Pete. We're going to go back to talking about the Kardashians once we turn this off. <laughs> we're, yeah, I think we fooled people into thinking we can have an intelligent conversation. Have you seen the, or, the no Kardashian parking near your house? Oh, yes, I have. There's yeah. that huge sign. Someone yeah. just put up a huge parking sign and it just says, no Kardashian parking. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the neighborhood. To do, you well, know, do, you, do you follow, by the way, um, Kim Kierkegaardian? Or, Kardashian, Kierkegaardian. I can't remember what the hashtag. Kierkegaardian. Yes, that one. What is that? Is that like mixing the two? Yeah, mix Kardashian and Sarah Kierkegaard. It's very, very good. That's good. Great Twitter feed. Thanks very much. Beautiful. Uh, Let's go eat.